Tuesday, September the 12th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, and a piece by me entitled, Three Easy Steps for a Better Church. Then Pastor Emily Larson and I will be joined by Sean Wilburn and Sean Sandifer of the Spiritual But Not Religious podcast to talk scripture, but also to talk about their new show, which delves into having spiritual conversations and spiritual space for younger generations. But first, a reading from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among you. A leader of a church once left a church with the stated reason that he didn't like the kind of pants that I wore. In the annals of another church, a longtime member once left because he fundamentally objected to the sanctuary having ceiling fans. From his perspective, they made the place feel like a saloon. A member once shouted at me that I was driving the Holy Spirit out of the building because I kept the sanctuary too cold during worship. Others continued to tell me that they were burning up. An adult once yelled at me, another adult, for sitting on a counter like I was a naughty child. A pastor-turned-agnostic friend of mine, in discussing why she left ministry and the faith, asked me plaintively, Why aren't they better? This should be the place where people treat you the best. Why are they the worst sometimes? I still don't have a good answer, but I know what she means. As the body of Christ, churches should be a haven, a place where people get treated the best, where people have the most empathy, where we can most easily settle differences. Indeed, the Holy Spirit binds us together. We all believe in its transforming power. However, as my examples imply, so often this doesn't happen. Human frailty and unresolved conflict can fester into mistreatment. Should it be this way? No. Is it all the same? Yes, unfortunately. It has a profound impact on the faith experiences of many. One might expect mistreatment in the broader world, but God created the church as the alternative to a broken world. As a pastor who has largely served churches with severe challenges, maybe I've earned a skewed perspective, but I know well the casualties of when the church doesn't rise to the standards set for us by God. Unresolved or poorly resolved conflict plays a huge role in this. Groups of people inevitably have disagreements and differences of opinion. No two people agree 100% of the time. Innately, we know this in our friendships, families, and marriages. We face the same in the church. Our passage today confirms that God shows up for a crowd of two or more. 
conflict does as well. The vital question for churches across the centuries is, what do we do with this conflict? Biblical scholars believe that, that Matthew includes this material about conflict resolution specifically because he believed that his Christian community needed to hear it. We need it at least as much. So, step one, don't let it linger. Most people, especially in nice places like churches, avoid conflict. We get wronged, we swallow it. We get wronged again, we swallow it. This cycle repeats until one day either we leave or snap. Few things do the soul more good than a lovely festering conflict. That's in no way a recipe for disaster. Christ's instructions in Matthew 18 value directness. The process starts with the wronged person going to the one who did the wrong and informing them of the offense. As it says in Matthew 18:15, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Hiding from the conflict only gives it the opportunity to amplify within you. The perpetrator may not even be aware of the offense. If they are, they may fear your reaction. Certainly, Christ advocates here for valuing their humanity. The word gets translated here as clunkily as church member is Adelphos, which more often gets translated as brothers and sisters, reiterating the close-knit familial nature of church relationships. Also, giving this conversation a chance to happen in private gives everyone a chance to save face if faces can be saved. Either way, you break the cycle of escalation by taking initiative and attempting to work through it. Step two, use your resources. A church intentionally brings people together into the aforementioned familial type bonds. That opens up the opportunity for conflict, but it also gives you people who can help you. After the one-on-one -on -one conversation, Christ instructs us to bring the community into the conversation. Whether we realize it or not, unresolved conflict impacts the whole body. We all know what it feels like to walk into a room where the vibes just feel off. I once searched a church with so much unresolved conflict, it had already killed one church and threatened to kill what got birth out of the first church's demise. We have a family with wisdom, different perspectives, and greater neutrality. Relying on them means following God's purpose for us, not showing weakness. We all share a connection. By having conflict somewhere in the body, the community already feels it. You're not bringing them into something that doesn't affect them. Step three, give up sometimes. This sounds counterintuitive. This passage directly follows Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one. Here, if the doer of wrong persists, we treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. It feels harsh. However, we cannot change one who doesn't want to change themselves. Not everyone has to respond positively, and at some point, we have to leave them to that for the sake of ourselves and our community. Jesus came to save Gentiles and tax collectors, so they have the same hope of finding their way back as they ever did. Each person has the free will to choose right or wrong. 
and we can lose ourselves in chasing someone to change them as much as we can in swallowing the conflict rather than seeking to resolve it. We cannot eliminate conflict. Handling it poorly or leaving it unresolved does tremendous damage to the church. It drives people out, keeps them away, and leaves them damaged in what God intended as the safest space. Church life should bring wholeness, not wreckage. Actually doing the difficult work of resolving conflict helps us rise to that standard. So, as you heard in the piece that I, you know, gave a very kind of SEO-friendly uh, name of, th you know, three easy ways to improve your church, this, this is a scripture about church life, about doing church life in a way that is life-giving and not life-taking. And, you know, this is, I, I both do this what essay piece, then I also do the sermon on it, and a lot of my focus on this is like, hey, this is a way to do church life better. And by the way, doing church life better, better really matters, right? That so much of modern life is entirely made up, right? I talked in the sermon about this comic strip from ages ago, Calvin and Hobbes, had the game called Calvin Ball. And in Calvin Ball, the rules of the game is you can never use the same rules twice. And so it's just this entirely made-up game with entirely made-up scores where it can be like, the score could be Q to 12. What does that mean? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Like, a lot of life can feel like it doesn't matter, right? It's all made up, right? You can't take it with you. It's all, you know, just rules for the sake of rules. Church isn't one of those things. Or rather... A religious community grounded on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Church has like an institutional feel that is maybe not what we really mean here, but like that that there is we are given tools to have these communities be something that's life-giving rather than life-taking. And this community being a thing that is life-giving and life-taking matters on like a cosmic scale. Like this is part of how we are meant to care for each other is we gather in these groups, we happen to call churches because it's a useful word, to then share the love of God, receive the love of God, make a difference in the world, and do it together. And I'm so glad that this author recognizes that there will be conflict yeah, within right. the church, yeah. right? That there's no rosy colored glasses that, you know, the church is going to be perfect. And all of us as human beings are going to get along perfectly every single time. And there will never, ever be an instance where we don't get along um, because churches are families and even great families, even healthy marriages have conflict, have situations where one party is hurt by another. And so having a way to deal with it where the goal is to restore relationship um, so that we can continue to live into this redemptive calling that we have is important. And so um, I've, I've even heard pastors say, you know, have you, have you Matthew 18 to them oh, yet? Geez, you know, if you come to, it, it's it become a verb, verb no, right? Have you, have you Matthew 18 to them? Oh. <laughs> I know it's I, a little cringy. When we I meet up, but... know what they mean, but it makes a tingle <laughs> run down my spine. <laughs> yeah. I love the quote about being, uh, there being a profound faith impact on everyone involved and that's people inside and outside yeah. of the church um and uh and that, that church should be this place that all feel welcome and when i heard that i heard also lee corso in the back of my mind uh from espn espn's college game day saying not so fast my friends 
because that's exactly what happens um, yeah. with with church families is there is a ton of conflict, which I absolutely love the subject and listening to what you had to say, because we need to find ways in which we can uh, apply that, as you uh, said, Emily, the redemptive values uh, across the board, because there are so many people who are, are genuinely hurting and have been hurt by the church because of this kind of conflict. Well, and there's a lot of things that the church have done wrong over 2000 years, but one of the like low, like not every, not every church, Lord willing, not every church is going to blow up into some massive scandal. And like, we've talked about like that kind of church damage on this show before, um, where it's just like, why, you know, why does everything, you know, why does all of these mega churches blow up into these like horrific scandal, right? Like we've talked about that and like, Hey, you know, have your own house in order, but this is the kind of thing that happens in like every church. Right. Yeah. Like not every church is going to have a, you know, Carl Lentz level figure of, you know, oh, man. Right. But like any church and every church can have those rooms where the vibe, where, as I said in the piece, like where the vibes just feel off. Right. Like, you know, those rooms where you walk in and go, huh, what this doesn't. Oh, I feel uncomfortable because there's something there's a vibe going on here. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And like that, that's where we think about part of where we just think about that broader impact, right? Like, sure, the pers- people in conflict are themselves being damaged, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then the whole community where this is supposed to be about welcoming people in, and that doesn't just mean like, you know, smile and get their contact information so you can contact them later, which is how we often talk about like welcoming people in church is like smile at them, shake their hands, don't be racist and get their contact information. And like, <laughs> I am <laughs> pro all of those things. Um, yeah. But and don't forget more. your token coffee cup. Don't forget your token coffee yes. cup or whatever horrific yes. giveaway. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, when uh, Emily and I served together in a small town with like two thrift stores, uh, I am an avid thrift store shopper. And Amen. I would love it when I would see our church coffee cup show up in the thrift store. Right? Like, I was just, <laughs> you have arrived. <laughs> I, 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 I started because you could buy them back for a dollar or whatever, and it was less than what they cost us to buy from whatever vendor we used. So I would just start yeah. buying them back, wash them, so and put them back. Give them away again. Give them away again. Because it was just yeah. like, I'm just going to recycle this coffee mug because I can buy it back for less than we paid for it. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I think that there's so there's good, healthy ways to deal with it and and less healthy ways. And I think there's also a balance. Yeah. So the goal is to never get to step three. Right. Yeah. The goal is if the brother sins against you, Mm. go to that brother and y'all just talk it out. Right. If that doesn't work, bring a couple people in. And then by the time we've gotten to step three, this is more serious. Right. And I've been in a church setting where. Nothing was talked about. Everything was swept under the rug. Yep. And it was a very, very unhealthy, very huge point of contention for a very long time, right? Because nothing was dealt with. And so there was real trauma that had happened. But at the same time, I have been a a guest, a first-time visitor in a megachurch where a pastor had had, you know, a moral failing and they needed to address it to the church And so the senior pastor, not the one with the moral failing, had a letter to read to the entire congregation. And so it was a good 20 minutes of listening to someone else's 
drama at the end of the sermon. It was super duper awkward because I had no idea who these people were and, you know, it, it didn't really affect me and the rest of the community. So I, I know there are ways of dealing with it, but it, it seems like there is a balance to be struck there um, when it comes to letting the community know and then in, in a spirit of redemption, right? It's, it's all that spirit of restoring relationship. Well, um, I also think it's like, let's take literally the spirit and maybe not the exact operation. Because the thing right. that like Matthew is probably not like conceiving of is churches of thousands of people. Right. This is probably, you know, if you if you think of Matthew, who's, you know, pastoring a worship community um, in, let's call it Turkey. Right. Like he is not necessary like near the Holy, but like he's pastoring like a church. But that church is like the size of like a normal what I think of as a normal. So the average this was in our show last week. It's the only reason why I have this on the dome. Like the average size of a church in the United States is like 65 people. That's the average, right? And so for a church of 65 people, the average church in America, which, by the way, would be a church that's totally recognizable in size to what the early church is working with, right? Where, like, you know everybody. You know everybody. Um, and, like, there was, like, a real the, – the idea of, like, walking as a new person into a sea of thousands as someone reads the Notes app apology is right. not – what Ma- that is not in Matthew's mind 2,000 years ago when this like ragtag group <laughs> spread out over the Greco-Roman world. And so it is like in principle, it is step one. Yo, talk about it. Do not do not do the like modern Internet of just like, you know, I, you know, unable to deal with conflict and thus I'm just going to walk away. Right. No, because that doesn't actually settle it. That just means you've walked away. Like, two is, okay, bring some people you trust into it. Three is, let the broader church help you. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean put the person on trial in front of 2,000 people. Right. Not necessarily in need of a witch hunt there. Right, right. Or anything that, fe- anything that feels like a witch trial, again, is probably not in Matthew's mind. We were the witches they were hunting, frankly. We were not hunting witches. <laughs> and one of the things that I found with my, serving in different churches is we've got leaders who are conflict adverse. Yeah. yeah. They mm-hmm. don't want to even start with number one. Um, and... Uh, they're afraid to stir the pot, maybe. I, I, it's just been uh, so disheartening to see so many church pastors uh, not be willing to take that first yeah. step because they didn't want to make waves. Uh, maybe they have other concerns going on. Um, but it was just so frustrating and maddening that even your church leaders would not take that first step of you know confronting the person or you know at least having the conversation. There, I don't know how we fix that. I don't know <laughs> where in seminary that needs to be addressed because well, it just seems you have so many that don't. Well, I think some of it is the personality profile of a pastor, of a modern pastor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, 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 and maybe like, you know, I'm a United Methodist, like a, a, a modern pastor in a mainline tradition, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. we are, uh, this is where I am like an utter failure as a pastor um, is I am not naturally nice, but like, we prioritize that kind of naturally nice. Um, and yeah, we, yeah. we prioritize that like, and, 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 you know, 
I'm not going to exempt me from the, my, me from this totally, right? Like, when you're a pastor, like, you're there to, like, make the church go and make the church, everyone be happy. And, like, there really is, like, a, like a people-pleasing element to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it is easy to fall into this trap of... Therefore, I don't want to make waves in anything. I don't want to say anything, you know, too strident from the pulpit because that's going to make waves. And, you know, I don't don't want to change too much because that's going to make waves. Or I don't want to, like, engage in conflict because that's going to make waves. But that's part of why I brought up the, like, yeah, but if the conflict exists, everyone knows it, whether you're, like, whether you're going to address it or not, that thing exists, and it impacts this whole community. Right. Um, and it only grows. And it only grows. Yeah. I, you know, I, well, if, if you're a really large church pastor, what you do is you hire someone and you call them executive pastor and you make them deal with the Yes. Conflict. Yeah. I yeah, had that. Yeah. I've had that. Your job. political whip. Yeah. Get them in there. Yeah. I had that job um, <laughs> when we were, uh, that's where I got the story of getting shouted at while sitting on a counter. Um, that was that job. <laughs> right. Um, right. Where like uh, my boss, the senior pastor got to do like, got to be like the peaceful visionary. Um, and then like, he was really good at that. And so cool. Um, but that meant like someone had to go break the kneecaps and like uh, my job, my job was to go break the kneecaps. My job was to like, okay, I'm going to, Wade down into this because like we're, it was like this multicultural church merger thing and so like there's a lot of conflict um and so i spent my so everyone asked like hey trey how's it going and i'm like i'm the wrong person to ask because if i t- if you ask me how this is going all it is is conflict all the way down and it wasn't but that was right. my that was my work day right Right. And to emily's point too where you had talked about it just uh, what bad timing for a new yeah. Congregant, Jeez. a new person to come in the door yes. and deal with that. Um, Easter feel- Sunday, by the oh way. Oh my god! Didn't say oh. that. It was an Easter oh no. Sunday oh first no. time visitor on. Uh, so um, I know I wasn't the fir- only first time visitor there. <laughs> how many more black eyes does the church need? Um, right. Uh, well, it just <laughs> it's just the seemingly ridiculous things that the church does. Yeah. That the people on the outside coming in, maybe trying it out and see how we handle our business. And just shake their heads and walk out like I, I don't need to be a part of that. Well, and that, like, my, my life's crazy enough. And that's one of my like larger points with mm-hmm. like focusing on the scripture is there's a real edge to this that like we're supposed to be better, right? Like you right. know my you know my, my the, the quote from my friend. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I, first time I'd seen her in years and like had found out that she had, you know, left the church. And again, not just left the ministry, but like left the church, just got out of there. Um, and, you know, we're sitting there and she's like, what? Like the, the, the pitch is this is supposed to be better. Why isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, my only answer, and it's not a really satisfying one. Is that well? We, we're not even using the t- like human conflicts inevitable. We're not even using the tools that are available to us. Mm. Um, and I don't even I, I other than you know one of my ongoing theories is I don't always know how Christian p- Christians are. Like I don't like I, we have all these beliefs, but I don't know how many people live them because like church should be a place where 
it is better. Like, not that conflict never happens. Remember, Jesus killed by a friend. Um, so just, you know, frame that. Um, Matthew's the same gospel that contains Matthew 10, 36. One's foes shall be many members of one's own household. I have that scripture and embroidery on the wall of my office. That's true. Um, like, but it should be, like, it should be better. This should be the place, the place where people are finding life. That's when we like, you know, when people go do the evangelisms, that's the thing we're saying, right? Like find new life in Christ, come be a part of this community and you're going to feel supported in that. And then so often that is not what happens because we don't deal with conflict because either we don't deal with conflict or we deal with conflict poorly or a thousand other things, but like looking specifically at the conflict angle, right? Like this is one of those places where we fail to be, what we're supposed to be, which is not just like something called church, like a room with a steeple full of, you know, creaky values, but like an actual like lived experience of people being loved and sharing love and loving a community. Like one of the places where we really fall short of that is we're not using the tools to manage conflict. I would go as far as to say that um, the act of sweeping conflict under the rug ah. is probably one of the most destructive things that you can do in yeah. a church setting. Um, because even outside of a church setting, say you just have, you know, your family, um, if people in the family are at each other's throats constantly and the, the you know, the structure is, well, you guys have fun with that. You know, we're not going to we're not going to work this out. It, it just it devolves from there and yeah. resentment starts to build up because I think inevitably people, um, they're always looking for structure and they're always looking for um a way to fix things so if there's not a conversation of hey guys we need to figure this out so we can get on right back on the right track and it just goes from there and it's never addressed i think that is almost more destructive than addressing it in the wrong way sure because at least then at least you're still addressing it and you can work from there but sweeping it under the rug that i've always thought that is probably one of the worst things that you can do well yeah and like you know it's one of those things that you know we teach in like premarital counseling right every premarital counseling curriculum has to you know has something to do with conflict in it right and it is always like yeah you need to work through these conflicts and like all these churches that are teaching this to young couples and then don't do it as a church i just (laughs) but i think you're right like it is that like we uh Shoot, Simon Sinek. There we go. So Simon Sinek, one of these like, you know, business leadership writers that I actually like, talks about that um, in Leaders Eat Last that like what humans want is like the circle of safety, right? Like we are, we as a species are built for that circle of safety, that like, you know, relatively small group, 50 to 150 people where we feel, by the way, weird. That's like the average church size. It's funny how that works. Um where we like feel a degree of emotional safety and trust where like we know that people will sacrifice themselves for the whole. And so you yourself are willing to sacrifice yourself for the whole, right? Like, you know, give of your resource, share what you have, feel like this is, this is my community. Right. Um, and lingering conflict can, can, pop that bubble, can break that circle of safety, because all of a sudden this group of people that is supposed to be your family, right, your Adelphos, right, like your, you know, brothers and sisters, now all of a sudden the, like, you know, 
conflict works its way into that into those small fissures and can split the whole thing apart. Um, it really, you know, it, like un, you're right. Like unresolved conflict in churches, families, marriages, friendships, nations, um, can you know can really be poisonous. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, it's uh, so Reinhold Niebuhr talks about forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is the final form of love. Um, and if we claim to follow a God who is love, then forgiveness needs to be in there, right? Um, we need to all be working towards this this redemptive grace, this redemptive love, this restoration of relationship. Um, I mean, that's God's whole shtick, right? Is that God is in the business of redemption with humanity. Um, and so humanity needs to be in the business of redemption to one another as well. Um, and when we don't, then we are not living as the church should live, right? Not living as a family should live. Yeah. And like a parent that truly loves you is going to tell you when you need to get your yeah. act together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Right. Um, I think that's a really good way to put that. Like, look, <laughs> sometimes it cannot like a life giving community, a life giving relationship does not always mean it's sunshine and rainbows, right? Um, uh, This is many years ago now, um, but I got really lazy in my marriage at some point. Um, We've been married for like 14 years, but like, you know, about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, I got really lazy. Um, My, we'd always been two career. um, And then for a year, my wife was uh, stopped off work and, um, just focused on being a stay-at-home parent, but only for one year, and then she went back to work. Um, and in that one year, I got real lazy. I just, I, you know, I, had, I used to, had previously done a lot of the cooking and the cleaning and the shopping because it's just like, look, there's just X, you know, every human life involves X amount of shenanigans. Everyone's got to share in the shenanigans. You know, we, we, we value equality. Okay, that means you deal with the equal amount of shenanigans. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, but for that year, it's like, well, I'm working. She's not. She's got time. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and I guess it was. I guess it was fine for that year. I don't know. Uh, but certainly, when that year was up and she went back to work, and I hadn't changed my behavior, like there was a real problem. Um, and so, like at some point, you know, and in a very loving way, this was not some blow knockdown drag up. There's like a real conversation of like, honey, I need you to do more. <laughs> you look around. I, there's stuff to do, and you should be doing it. And so, like, I had to really take a step back and go, oh, yeah, uh-huh, oh, that's real dumb. I should not do that. I should do better. Um, and, you know, blessedly, I actually took the season of Lent that year, um, and my Lenten discipline that year um, was to, like, really increase the number of things that I was doing to make our household run, and then that stuck. Um, but, it, you know, it was because she confronted me about it and like it was really, it, it, by the way, it should have been bothering her. Turns out was, um, and because we had that conversation six years ago, like you know, you know, it's not that our marriage is like always perfect, but like we really grew and were able to be healthy, you know, learn to be a healthy couple with one kid. And then now we can be a healthy couple with two kids. Um, And like, I really pinpoint that moment of her coming to me. My wife is horrifically conflict averse. I am not, but she is. Um, And she confronted me of like, this isn't right. And she she was correct. 
Um, and on some level, I knew that. <laughs> Why wasn't I doing anything before? That's on me. Um, but she did her part, and it really, like, I mean, it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I think what you get in a lot of churches is uh, so much hubris. And we know how to handle things uh-huh. around here. Yeah. And the way we do things is the right way. Um, and w- to your point, number two, using your resources. And Trey, this is a question that I have for you and for Emily, because um, I want to I want to learn more about um, the different resources that churches can uh, consider entertaining, because I think this is such a huge opportunity uh, for churches to uh, collaborate not only with one another, but with the resources around them. And what are what are ways that, that churches can maybe reimagine uh, on how to, to deal with this kind of conflict in, in a way that it shows their community, hey, guys, we 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 do need to grow or we, we don't have all the answers and we, we need help. Um, and and what, what is a way to convince pastors and church leaders? Um, hey, uh, let's let's tone down. Uh, your 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 confidence levels on how you think you can handle things because clearly there's issues going on and uh, so what are what are some more of your ideas regarding resources that churches can can consider? Well, one of them is again I suspect really boring, but I suspect also is a big part of the answer is encourage those bridging relationships within your congregation, right? Yes. That like um, help your folks to know that this is not just like I come. I sit in my bubble. I listen to the dude or lady up front. I mm-hmm. rock out to the band. Mm-hmm. I go home. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right? Like, part of the, like, thinking about, like, the resources is this is meant to be a family. And when you have those bridging relationships, some of that stuff just starts to happen. Because you, like, you may, like... Maybe your pastors put yourself, I think some of us also like, maybe we teach clergy not to put themselves on a pedestal. Lord knows, please yes. stop, dear God. Um, also, I don't want to be on a pedestal. I do not, no, no pedestals, right? Like, so I, some of that is like, like a real, like theological piece of mm-hmm. stop making the pastor like a charged, charged divine object or not. Um, but I think another part of it, and again, like this is not, this is hardly revelatory, but I really think it's at the root of this is grow a church so that people are comfortable, have built those relationships. And we need to approach church as an opportunity to build those relationships so that when you have that conflict, it feels really natural to go to your Sunday school leader, your whatever, small group leader, your, you know, whatever. Or Um, even your pastor. Or even your pastor. pastor. So, Having those good open doors where people just feel comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, I'm not okay with this thing that you did or this thing that you said. Um, I'll never forget, I I was working as your associate, Trey, and someone had an issue with me and came to you because they were not comfortable with you, but they were comfortable with you. Um, And and you apologized for me, right? Because I have made plenty of mistakes in ministry. Um, and, and you, I was like, Trey, that wasn't, that wasn't your fight. Like you didn't, you didn't have to sit there and take that abuse from that person yelling at you for an hour about something that, that I had done. Um, and you just said, no, 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 I I got you. Like, this is, we're a family. We're going to work this out together. Right. And we, we ended up having good conversations, um, and restored relationship between me and that person because they were comfortable coming to leadership and saying, you know, Hey, I'm not okay with this thing that happened. Right. 
Yeah. Um, we used to. I but you used to. I used to want to put on that office wall. It's been this many days since we apologized for something, and we <laughs> never would have gotten zero. Zero. Just write permanent zero <laughs> in there. Like there's, there's always going to be something that we don't get right. But, but understanding that, and understanding that your pastors, your clergy, your Sunday school leaders are also not perfect, right? Not on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, and can apologize for the places where we are idiots too, right? Well, so. yeah. And, and I think looking kind of beyond the like the modeling of it, right? Um, yes. To the community, I yes, um, yes. Like it is. Some of it is is in approach of you know, are you saying I have the answers, or coming and saying we're working together to make this community a better place? And there, there really is like a part of it that is approach the the world with humility, right? Because like you know, you think about the this picture of the early church. It is not this like triumphant ascendant thing, right? It's this ragtag. So we talked about like this is a ragtag group of folks, and they of course they didn't have all the answers. They were you know clearly normal people we've built this whole box and then we live within it and it goes to our head. And then we start approaching the world as saying, Hey, we got all the answers. Um, and Jesus does say, I am the way, the truth and the life, but that's Jesus and not you, right? Like it's (laughs) Jesus and not me. I am not, I am thankfully not the way, the truth and the life. We'd all be doomed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I love how you, you, you said how we model ourselves. Yeah. And I think for I'm passionate about this younger generation who is so disconnected with the church. And they're, and I think a big reason that they're disconnected is they see how the church has modeled themselves as, hey, we got the answers. We got it all figured out. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry the way we look on the inside here because we're all, you know, hypocritical. But, hey, we've got the answers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all good here. And so kids, you know, young, this younger generation sees that. Yeah. And just says, I, I'm instantly turned off by that. That's just not genuine. That's not real. It's almost as if they see the lack of change after yeah. the conversation occurs. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of times it's, yeah, let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. Talk to me. What's what's going on? And then as soon as, you know, that conversation has occurred, you know, it's like it doesn't even matter because nothing's right. going to change anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a really key point of like, I, and I think that gets to the that accountability piece of actually, if we are going to thump that we have answers, and I and I really do believe that within the collective wisdom of the church, there are some great answers to life's challenges. Yes, I really yes. do believe this, right? Yes. Like. You know, I, I could have left this. We we talked last week about the great pastor resignation. I could be in that number, right? Like I too have <laughs> suffered some of that same burnout as everyone has. But I really do. Sure. Believe, and I and I've been blessed. I've got to see it a, a, a you know a, a couple of times in my life in ministry where it really was like this like healthy non hypocritical thing, and I got a lot of life out of that. Um, but we actually need to seek to not just assume that the having of the values isn't meaningful. It's the living of the values, 
right? You can have all in your brain and be able to repeat all the right things. And what some of the things we've decided are the right things probably have nothing to do with Jesus at all. Jesus really did say, like, welcome all the people in. And that really seemed to be like a big thing that Jesus was there for. Um, but they've got to sink in and derive action. This is what that actual meaning, how I read James 2, 26, like the faith without works is dead, right? To me, that means, okay, cool, believe. That's the start. Let that belief sink in. Live it. Actually live it. And by the way, because you're human, you're not going to live it perfectly all the time. And so you're going to need forgiveness from God and other people. Um, and we have, you know, a, a, you know, just on the other side of that wall is this like 1,200-seater sanctuary with a busted air conditioner that we can't use. Um, and it is this like wonderful, like... I, you know, I, 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 I sometimes take phone calls in there just to remind myself of the metaphor of, like, this giant ascended thing that is, by the way, fundamentally broken. Right. Um, and, right. and when we don't live it, like, that's what we become. We become these giant ascended-looking things that are fundamentally, fundamentally broken. Um, this seems as good a place as any to take a quick break um, and then be right back uh, with our How to Restart a Church segment, where we will talk uh, to Sean. And Sean, very handy that you both have the same name. Like, that is, uh, that You're is welcome. really useful. It gave us a useful shorthand in planning this episode of The Sean's. Um, and so thank you for that. Um, you know, I'm bad with names, and I only needed to learn one new name today. Um, and so this is, this is great. Um, and so we'll be, uh, you'll hear some theme music, and then we'll be right back uh, with How to Restart a Church and talk to Sean and Sean about their amazing work. We'll be right back. And we're back with who we have uh, lovingly been calling the Shans, uh, Sean and Sean, who have recently started a new podcast called Spiritual But Not Religious um, to kind of fill a void. And I'm super duper excited to have them on today to get to tell us just uh, a little bit about where that comes from. Um, so if y'all wanted to talk about kind of where your motivation was, what kind of space y'all are trying to create uh, with your new podcast. Well, awesome. I'll uh, jump right on in there. Uh, my name is Sean, and uh, I am one of the Sean's part of this podcast at uh, Spiritual Not Religious, um, which was birthed out of uh, working with uh, young adults, um, that 18 to 22-year uh, range of, uh, of, of youth that were connected in some way with, uh, with some kind of faith or uh, with a church, potentially. Um, but in working with these folks, learning that uh, this, this phrase kept bubbling to the surface, um, which was, hey, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I just kept hearing that and wondering, what are you talking about? Um, and what is the disconnect here? And uh, just learning that these people had a heart uh, and desire to want to, to grow in their faith and to learn more about uh, this person named Jesus and uh, to discover uh, more deeper truths about um, the life of Christ and yet not feeling that they could plug into a community of believers. Um, and, and so uh, after that time, I just kept uh, wondering, how can we create uh, a space and place to engage 
uh, this crucial segment of the population. And, and really, although I work with that 18 to 22 year old range, uh, the young adult population is really uh, more of the 18 to 30 some yeah. odd range. Um, and so just a huge segment of, of, uh, of the population that just was disconnecting or disaffiliating with uh, today's Christian churches um, in spite of their, de- their, their deep desire to want to grow deeper in their faith and spiritual ideals. So well, you, um, you look I, at like kind of what I would call, and this is you know probably not the right term, but like alternate forms of spirituality are booming, mm-hmm. right? Uh, tarot yes. card reading yeah. has never been bigger, uh, uh, or it's not at least in my lifetime has never been bigger. Um, z- uh, Zodiac stuff, right, is you know mm-hmm. huge right, right now. Yeah, astrology. just go on TikTok, you'll see yeah. all yeah. that stuff, all of it, right? Yeah. You know, even even the Norse gods are getting like are, are getting kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a revival, and so it it speaks to something, and you and and you know, I appreciate the age ranges you're talking about. Like that's both Gen Z's and millennials, right? Like yes, you've got yes, these kind exactly. of two thoroughly adult, and you remind people, thoroughly adult generations um, for whom it is much more comfortable to say, yeah, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And, you know, you know, I think that's a really, I think that's a really important space to be in. Yes. And, and Sean, you were actually other Sean's, Youth director, right? That's how the two of y'all got together. It's very confusing. Which Sean is? Are you talking <laughs> to the younger Sean or the older Sean? Sean, so this is Sean the elder and Sean the younger, right? Sean like, the elder and Sean the Gen Xer and Sean the. Are you a Gen Z or? Sean? I am. Yeah, you are. Ninety nine, yeah, so just barely made the. Oh, you're right there. Oh, oh just right in there. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So we're just a couple of millennials, right, stuck in the middle. Um. And so, but it's, but it's great to have your perspective in that podcast as well, because I think you're right. That's a a generation that a lot of churches are looking around and going, um, where, where did they go? (laughs) Like it's, it's this black hole of why aren't they coming into our churches anymore? And, and, you know, what can we do to get them back is a huge question for a lot of churches, um, that they're at least asking themselves that question is good. Um, but, but what would you, what would you say to that? I mean, as, as a representative from that generation. Right. Absolutely. So to answer your first question, yes. So Sean senior. Listen, you whippersnapper. I knew you'd love that. Look, I'm the second youngest person on this show right now. And so I feel great. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so Sean was my, uh, youth minister growing up and, um, the older that I got and as I went through high school and eventually graduated and went into my college years, um, I did an internship with him in the youth ministry and then eventually, um, took an interim position, uh, as he phased out of that, uh, part of his life. So we have been kind of, you know, uh, paired up for a while, uh, tackling a lot of just different, um, you know, theological, spiritual issues, especially when it comes down to the age range, you know, of teenagers and young adults. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So to answer your second question, you know, it, it's, it, I'm really glad that you brought up the the tarot cards and the um, the zodiac signs because yeah. it's, it, it seems now more than ever, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you'd go to like a Chinese restaurant, they'd have like the zodiac signs on the little um, like paper thing. And, you know, it was like a fun thing. It, it you right, know, right. it wasn't something that you took very seriously, but now it's people actually are basing, you know, their life off of 
um, these things and and they're they're attaching themselves and identifying themselves with these um, different religions, you know, Buddhism and and Taoism and um, Hinduism and all these things are are starting to make a resurgence, which is really interesting because you would think as our uh, world starts to become more and more secular, as it would seem, people are seemingly attaching themselves more and more to religion, right? Yeah. Um, so the whole basis behind why Sean and I got together is actually his idea. He came to me um, a while ago, actually, and he was like, man, I'm, I'm really... Um, I'm feeling led to have these discussions because I feel like this is happening more and more. And I agreed with him, um, you know, just being in that youth um, uh, space, you you definitely saw that happening more and more. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, kind of rambling on, but... no you're great. I, I think there is like, it, it, it's interesting, right? Like, I read a lot and think a lot about like a secularization of society that the, the world feel, you know, certainly Western society feels like it's becoming more secular, but actually what that seems to mean is that people are less interested in quote unquote organized religion and humanity as innately spiritual being mm. remains turns out part, you know, whether it is, you know, tarot or Zodiac or Christianity or transcendental meditation um, or modern art or, you know, actually some branches of physics. There's this great book. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm going to butcher the title, but it's it's basically about the the, the birth of uh, of uh, multidimensional theory um, in, in physics. And it starts to just sound a lot like, you know, it was happening in the seventies, like starting to sound like a lot of like seventies new age thinking, but applied to physics. Right. Like, well, and now people are even talking about simulation theory, you know, that we're living in a simulation. (laughs) And it's funny because it's like, one of the richest men in the world thinks this. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Because, you know, ultimately what you're saying in a roundabout way is, okay, so we are in a creative, in a created universe. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like there is this like, and and again, like, you know, I, you know, Christian theologian me, right, like that goes to like a guy like C.S. Lewis who talks of, you know, who a hundred years ago is talking about that, like humanity like there's this like inbuilt desire for the divine uh within humanity and it is interesting and perhaps telling that at this moment people aren't you know more and more and more sectors of society of kind of the under 50 crowd are not coming to us the church for those answers and i think that is and and often the church tells it as an indictment of society, right? Right. Mm-hmm. When actually, I you know <laughs> I, I, maybe we should uh, really turn that finger, turn that turn finger it, around, turn, like, turn it on its head, know, turn it on its head, like mm-hmm. you know. And so I want to ask you, like, kind of what I I, I hear at the top of like, how are you using the show? Like, what is what is this show? Um, and how are y'all trying to go about addressing this conversation? And so really, we're just trying to create, like I said before, the, the, a place and space for people just to have the conversation. Yeah. We're not trying to provide a lot of answers or point fingers. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, this past week, I used a, a quote from uh, Shane Claiborne um, who said, hey, look, we're, we're going to stop complaining about the church. 
<laughs> that we've experienced and try to become the church that we dream of. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the kind of uh, yeah. a, a, a podcast that we dream of. And we want to just invite people who don't feel like they can do that in the community right now, but have strong feelings or have their thoughts that they want to share. And so basically that's what we're talking about. We're also trying to um, use resources, <laughs> our, our number two um, use your resources. Use your resources, yeah. <laughs> use your resources, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I'm trying to pull in um, authors and uh, books of uh, that you know deal specifically with how can our modern day churches effectively uh, reach this generation yeah. that just is not going to darken the door of the church. Um, and so, how can we get creative? What 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 can we do to reimagine um, engaging? our Gen Zers, our millennials, um, and really anyone else who um, is just feeling disaffected by at least Christianity. Um, but we are welcoming to anyone, whatever you believe in, whatever is going on with you, we want to hear about it. Yeah. We want to know where you are and why. Um, and this is also a podcast for church leaders who are wondering, hey, how can we yeah. engage these folks? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we so- created it to be... Uh, um, a space for conversation um, for people that are coming from all walks of life, you know, people who have been um, deeply wounded by the church, people who are actively, um, you know, part of a church. Um, And we have, we're going to have a lot of different people. I I feel in the future come from, you know, all walks of life. Like we had uh, a really great discussion in our previous episode where, um, you know, the conversation basically led to the point of, what would it look like if the church started to adapt with the new generation that's coming up that necessarily doesn't maybe want to be a part of a brick and mortar style um, congregation? Um, And that means, you know, you don't uh, you don't necessarily change what you're preaching and you don't change the topic of the conversation, but you change maybe how you um, deliver it to people who just are not interested in coming through the doors. Well, I think that's a lot of what we talk about on this show too, right? That we are, we're in the middle of, we call this segment of the show, how to restart a church um, because that's what we're doing, right? We are attempting, like we're mm-hmm. in this church that, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, fell apart. Um, and there are parts of our church now that are doing really well. We have this amazing um, a Spanish service that, you know, we had, a, uh, Emily, we had 112 people last week in the Spanish Woo-hoo! service. 112. 112 wow. people. Um, nice. That's yeah, great. 50% of whom are under the age of 18. Um, Even better. And, Even that, better. And, and that is because, like, um, uh, my other associate, Pastor Yeni, um, has, I brag about her every show, but she deserves it. She's uh, great. She's yeah. great. Uh, she, <laughs> she herself is an immigrant, and so she is able to build that, like, like, true immigrant, you know, experience. This is not like, you know, some Anglo twerp read a book about, you know, ministry to immigrants and then decided to do it. Right. Like, um, you know, the, the they, Anglo twerps, they make the Anglo, twer- the Anglo twerps main job is to find the resources to make the show go. Um, and I, I did preach this past Sunday, but like, you know, this, that's Jenny's end of the show. And so like, that's been really vibrant. When we look at the future of English speaking ministry here at servants of Christ, we're asking those same questions of how do I, you know, um, I think the message is eternal, but I think the wrapper we put that message in is culture is, has always been culturally defined. 
right? It uh, is adaptable and should be innovative and should be creative. We serve a creative mm. God. We can be creative too. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you, you can't. You can't put a boundary around it. Well, and what's hilarious? Not hilarious. What I find hilarious shows how <laughs> broken I am. Um, is a lot of what we think of as the high holy stuff of Christianity started out as using culturally relevant forms that the people would understand. So mm-hmm. back at the dawn of Christianity, um, the like popular form of civic religion in Rome were what were called mystery cults. And like mystery cults all had their own, this is going to sound familiar, they all had their own entrance ritual. And they often had special meals. So let's talk about this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, so baptism, right, became a way of like, hey, God entering your life. You know how like you did this thing for uh, for ISIS. ISIS was a big one, Um, and Osiris. Like you did this thing for Osiris. Remember you? You remember that? So this is kind of like that, but this is like more so. Um, and you remember how like you would gather around for the Epicurean meal? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So this is kind of like the so it was like these culturally relevant forms to communicate a eternal truth, right? Same thing with covenant of Moses, right? Or covenant with Abraham and with Moses, right? So like covenants were just like an existing legal form in the old like in Old Testament times and like Assyria and Egypt and all that. It was just like how you did contracts, um, and often it was like a contract between like a king and a and a and a vassal, right? Mm-hmm. And so God, in like forging a relationship with humanity, was like, okay, how am I going to communicate this in such a way that they're going to understand? Oh, we'll use a covenant, right? So it's this cultural, and now we we've put these things on pedestals and we've made them all kinds of things, but in their contexts. they started out as culturally relevant forms in the same way that. They're using their resources. They're using the analogies that people understood. Um, Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, helped found mm-hmm. Methodism, right? Mm-hmm. He set his hymns to bar tunes. Yes, right? exactly. Set the hymns to bar tunes. Like, oh, right. you know this tune? Let me give you another thing to think about. When you see, he was he was a poet, not a songwriter. We call him a hymn writer, but he didn't write a lot of music. He took a lot of existing tunes and then... Gave them a new meaning. This is the same way where, like, um, what is it? God Save the Queen and what is the other song that has uh, – our, is it Our Country Tis the yeah, – Our Country Tis the Have the same yeah. tune, same principle, right? Like, these all were just, like, <laughs> tunes that were out there that they knew, and you wrote new words for it to help people – think about something else when they're doing it. But again, all of the, anyways, this is is a 10 minute way of me agreeing with you, but like um, (laughs) it is like thinking not about like, Oh my God, it has to happen in this way. No. Exactly. And to use your example of uh, Charles Wesley, go right back to John who as a pastor was trying to think outside the box. And what does he do? He literally goes outside Outside the box box. of the church. Outside the God-shaped box that we call the church. Out into the open air preaching. For the video version (laughs) of the podcast, this makes sense. So so I have two tattoos. I have a weird collection of Methodist body art. My way of responding um, in a modern way uh, is I have John Wesley. I'm not taking my shirt off, but I have John Wesley on my left. I have a 10-inch tattoo of John Wesley on my left arm. Oh, my god! It's him outdoor preaching on his father's grave. Um, Oh, yeah, perfect. And then I have Francis Asbury um, as a circuit writer here. And in both cases, right, like 
you know, in the Methodist tradition, one of the things that I really resound with is Mm -hmm. we started out as this movement that says, where are the people? Oh, we're going there. Um, How do we talk to the people? Oh, in a language they're going to understand. Um, And going all the way back to the beginning, you know, Paul says, I become all things for all people so that I or so that, you know, some might be saved. So he was even bending the rules back at the very beginning. Well, and and going and going to wildly sinful places like the Agora. Right. Like, so you would go to the marketplace. Right. And like we think of like a supermarket. It's just not like that. Right. A lot of things were sold in the Roman and Greco-Roman agoras, including people, um, both as your slaves and as your uh, friends for money. Um, and so like Paul goes in. You're right. Like Paul and Paul's able to do what he does because of the network of Roman roads. Right. Which is also in a way using the modern information technology. But, like, yeah, he's going to the places where the people are. He's becoming all things to all people. He, you know, even, like, continued to work for a living so that he would have that, like, connection with working people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and one of the connections that I'm finding that the uh, Gen Zers and uh, uh, millennials are having is a connection with being missional and not attractional. And I feel like a lot of churches have gone with more of an attractional model of how can we get kids or this, these generations to come to our church and you know, experience the new worship style, to experience the, the new lights and the fog machines and experience all of the really cool factor, which there is a cool factor to be had. Uh, I'm not downing that at all, but I feel like this generation, they're, they're interested in more of being missional. Yeah. Um, and and the idea of churches finding ways to go and meet the, the this generation where they are, go find them and go meet them in those places, is is paramount for the church's success in reaching these generations. Well, I, I love the road. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Absolutely, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, I think the roadblock there um, is that when you know younger people go to the church and they say, "Hey, this is what we're looking for." you know, instead of your, your fog machines and your lights and your music, they get met, which is cool. It's fine. I love a fog machine. It is cool. Yes. It is cool. It's but, fine. But I think what happens is going back to what you were saying, Shawnee, at the very beginning is they are met with, actually, I think we know a little bit more yeah. than you do about mm-hmm. what you want and what yeah. you need. And then when that is said, then that is when the decision is made of, Okay, well, then I'm just not going to be going here. Or, or there's just no substance. Right. Yes, yes. And so I love that y'all have created this space in your podcast to talk about those things, um, that you've created space, you've opened the door for those conversations to happen where real, genuine conversation can happen um, and for people to get to be a part of that. You know, I, I asked y'all before the show, and y'all have answered this in many different ways, um, but if you were in charge of starting a new worship space, shall we say. So if you were in charge of starting a church, um, what sort of spaces and places would you create to ensure that people felt welcome and included? What sorts of things or practices would you do to make sure um, that, you know, that the young folks are coming in or, or that the young folks are attracted to whatever it is that you're doing? Go ahead, Shawnee. You go first. <laughs> um, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I, I do feel like our youth group that I grew up in did a really um, good job at times um, of making people feel that way. 
um, it was really cool to be able to watch a kid come in for the first time that was a first time visitor and see them just having fun, you know, um, not making them feel pressure to, you know, spill their life secrets or, or tell us all what's what's wrong with your life right now. You know, it was about creating a space of saying, hey, you can relax here. You know, there's no pressure. There is no, um, you know, we're, we're not expecting you to to do anything or say anything. Just just come and just be, you know, um, yes. I, I feel like that is one of the main things that that needs to be done is just creating a space of of acceptance and, yeah. and feeling like I can relax here. And and what that does is over time, that creates an environment where people want to express themselves, people want to open up that shell. And, you know, you're not prying, you're not you're not digging in deep, you're just giving them the space to be themselves and to feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's a variety of folks. We had a, a guy come in with cat ears and a cat tail. Sweet. Hey, you, you're Dope. welcome here. Let's do it. You're welcome here. Uh, kids nice. with various uh, mental health issues and, 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 and things like being on the spectrum. Hey, you're welcome here. And we're going to try to make all kinds of adjustments to make sure that, you know, you, you feel like you're safe in this place. Um, kids who are saying they, they just they were not sure who they were sexually. All right. Hey, sure. yeah, come on cool, in cool, here. Come on. Let's, it's let's all confusing. Go. Let's just let's figure it <laughs> out. That's all. Right, right. And and I think Sean's point of you know, that space that needed to be created, no matter what you believed or what you were coming from, uh, or what you were wearing, or or just who you were. Um, I I think a lot of folks feel like there's a roadblock there at the front door of churches where, yeah. I, hey, listen, in order to get uh, this shower, I need to take a bath real quick. Yeah. In order to come in. <laughs> And I don't, I don't think that's well, quite like what we were, uh, Jesus meant for us when we come to the cross. It's just come as you are. Um, and I think another uh, important thing is, hey, you want to learn how to do this right? Get this book right here. Uh, this is a great resource. Um, for audio listeners, how, he's holding up Greenhouses of Hope, um, a mm-hmm. congregation growing. Yeah, it's uh, by Dory Baker. Uh, and how do you uh, how congregations today are growing young leaders who are going to change the world? That's and so they're taking uh, places that have uh, long since seen their use and turning them around uh, with fertile seeds of of how to uh, take this generation that is so hungry mm-hmm. for God. They are. They just are. And, and right now they're just kind of uh, under the guise of calling it spiritual, not religious. But they they're passionate. They they want to grow. I'm working with people uh, with uh, Appalachian Service Project. These are 18 to 22 year olds. That is their church. Yeah. When you ask them what, what church do you go to, I go to Church of Appalachian Service Project. Well, why is that? Well, because we're actually going out. We're ministering to people. We're doing. We're getting our hands dirty, yeah. and that's what we need. We want. We need something that we can wrap our hands around. And, uh, and this, this, these generations are passionate about that. And I'm not sure they're, they're finding it in that, but, um, we, there are churches like your own, which I absolutely love what you guys are doing, uh, particularly, uh, welcoming in refugees and your ministry to that, that, oh my gosh, that is brilliant. And so instead of having debates about it in our churches, you guys are going out into the streets, you're, you know, you're engaging this population, um, and that's exactly what this generation is looking for in churches like yours that are 
you're basically doing what you're saying. Well, yeah, that's so what they're looking I, yeah, for. So that's the thing I, I keep resonating with what y'all are saying is, um, and again, I, you know, I, I come from a background in Christian rock. I love a good fog machine. Um, I, you know, fog machines really did help me find <laughs> Jesus. I do want to be sure. honest. I do want to yeah, be honest. And there's about, nothing but, wrong but, with but, them. But, 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 but to my, but to y'all's point that the, the larger picture, especially now is do the thing that's free but way harder, which is actually be good, right? Like it is actually be a community actually, that people would like yeah. to be a part of. Right. Be authentic. Be authentic. Right? Authentic. Younger people are a lot better at sniffing out yeah. the bullcraft oh, than a lot of people it. think they are. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as soon as they catch a whiff of like, oh, this is not what they're preaching, right, right. they're they you lost them. Right. And and, and by the way, as they as we should, if we are like. This is where, again, back to who are we blaming here, right? Like, um, we should not be blaming folks for realizing that we're hypocrites. We should mm. stop being hypocrites. And I like, hey, and, and, and it's it's really hard to pay money to be like it's like you cannot throw money at the don't be a hypocrite problem, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, because you know I I've been through a lot of waves of this, right? Like you know we're gonna build family life centers and then that's gonna save the souls, so we're gonna look like yep. he weird health clubs, um, and, yep. and then and yep. then we're gonna start you know and I and I come out of the we're gonna start contemporary worship, um, and that's gonna get them right, and it you know you know I also like seven words 11 times um i really do um but like um but the answer the capital a answer seems to be coming back to not a thing that we can throw money at but to do the harder work of examining our own souls and saying are we practicing what we're preaching um and then also that other piece um that sean the younger hit on that i think you know i keep hearing um, and I think it's important is that space without pressure, right? Yes. That like, I, you know, I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast today about chick tracks, these like, you know, comic books to help you find Jesus that were really popular 50 years ago, um, but still exist. Um, and it was like this guy walked into this young man's front yard and handed him this chick track and then read this chick track with him. And then at, in that same conversation, this is a 99% invisible episode. Now I remember what this is. Um, then in that same conversation, asked him to pray the sinner's prayer. Um, and now you're a Christian. And by the way, for that young man, it worked. Um, but that is not generally the arc of the modern world that like you can have, you have this one conversation, it's one life changing conversation. And then like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Oh my gosh. Right. Like maybe that, <laughs> that can happen, but like these spaces without that kind, that level of pressure that just is like, Hey, who are you? Where are you on this journey? Are you even on this journey? Are you just here for the pizza and the fact that the girl you like is sitting next to you? Cool, cool, cool. Welcome home, brother. I was there too. <laughs> right, exactly. But I think, again, you know, it's it's also about creating that space once, you know, you have, a, a, in, in our instance with the youth group, once you have a kid that does make that decision, that, that yeah. does reach that point, it's about creating a space of, okay, well, let's foster you throughout this. It's not yeah. congratulations, good luck. Well, yeah, that guy, that guy literally walked like, out of that man's yard and he never saw him yep. again. That's it. It's almost like Jesus set up that model ah. thing 
that we call discipleship? Like, exactly. It you does know, say, maybe we should try that. I mean, the, the word, the, I mean, the word in the Great Commission is go and make disciples, not go and make converts. Right. Mm. Like it's disciples. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it is, it is. And like, and, and that had meaning that, that had meaning in that time, similar to how it means now. Right, that like a disciple of something was invested and studied and followed, and right, like it was not like go go and make converts. It was go and make disciples, and then you're and you're right, like that involves that like journeying with and helping along a like real honestly the lifetime of a journey, and it and it helps newcomers see okay these people actually they actually care about your well-being they actually care about um your mental health like it's not okay they're actually just trying to get to an end goal and then once you know they've converted me they're on to the next person person. they genuinely want to have a relationship with me and they want to see me grow in the community i I, when i was a missionary uh slash researcher in paraguay um there was a mormon um missionary team um, that was, you know, periodically evangelized our little neighborhood. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people in that community got baptized so that the Mormons would leave them alone. Right. <laughs> they were just like, okay, the way to make these people go away was to just get baptized and then they'll leave me alone. Right. And this is not the thing. This is not the thing we should be doing, right? This is not just like, okay, I can report back to base that I got the conversion. Cool. Um, oh, then it's, it's just about numbers at that yeah. point. It's a number. Yeah, it's a numbers game. And, and also, and this came up in my sermon on Sunday of like it, like, it says that salvation was the goal, not the beginning, right? That right. like for a Christian walk, it's a journey. It's not a like, you got saved, cool. Um, you know, I, I tell this story in the sermon, but like I, I run and, you know, I had worked a lot in the, in the rural South. Um, and so periodically I would get the, you know, the, the male head of the family would not be in church, but the kids and the, and the wife would be, and this is a real common setup. Um, and I would ask the head of the house, you know, Hey, why, why, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you in church? Like, well, I, you know, I can experience God out here on my tractor as well as I can in church. <laughs> and like right. on a level, sure. Mm-hmm. On a level, you're missing the point. Yes. Because what that says is like my individual experience with God is right. the end goal of this whole thing, not mm-hmm. the salvation, support and transformation of everybody, including the entire world. Right. Exactly. And when you frame the like, community aspect of this as so important and the mutual you know i you know the line i used was like look the whole goal of the church is to get all of us together from one age to the next we are all working to collectively not individually right not to like oh cool i made it to whatever your version of the age to come is and don't need to unpack that here but whatever your version of the age to come is i made it cool yeah, but like that wasn't the goal. The goal was for everybody to get from this world of suffering to a world without that. Exactly. Um, and we all do that together. Not just like, cool, you've been saved. You are now going to the upstairs section, not that downstairs section. We're really, you're going to be really, you're going to really like it up there. Cool. Good luck. <laughs> it's not the and goal. Part of, 
And part of that discipleship, and this kind of goes back to your question, Emily, of what are what are some ways churches can uh, be places where young adults can feel like they're welcome, is to make uh, as part of the discipleship process is give more responsibility and leadership roles yeah, yeah. to this generation. Yeah. I mean, think yeah. about it. A lot of these folks, yourselves included, yep. are um, you guys are in positions of leadership and responsibility already. And let's give these folks who are already doing great jobs where they are now, let's trust them to do a great job within our own church and bring fresh ideas and a fresh vision. Uh, and, I'm I'm tired of the the token teenager, the token young adult who sits on the uh, church board uh, and sits in a meeting, and then all the business is done. And right, and at the very end, oh, uh, and we have a representative here. Do you have anything to say? And it just it's they're just token, and they're tired of that. They want more of a role and responsibility within the governing of the church. And it's time for folks who are holding so tightly onto, well, they haven't got the experience. They haven't, you know, proven themselves. They don't have the years. And I know they're over here making a six uh, figure income, but that doesn't translate to to, to the spiritual leading of the church. And we got to get rid of that mentality. I get that some as a 37-year-old senior pastor, right? And, you know, and I, you know, I have, you know, three master's degrees and two children, right? Like, and I, you know, I, you know, and I've got, you know, I get that all the time. Uh, I got on my soapbox about this the other day because I I know it's well-intentioned, but when people are like, these young folks are the church of the future, and I'm like, no, 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 friends, they're the church right now. Right now. Can we... Can we please stop thinking of our children and our youth and our young adults as the church of the future and fully include them into this body, into this community now? Well, and this is where, like, me and you, Emily, are oddballs, right? We happen to be the people from our generation that got that chance, right? Both mm-hmm. you and I have been at this for 20 years each, um, which is frightening. Um, <laughs> but, it, like, I was that weird youth at a church that was not necessarily good at this, that like no one knew how to make the sound go. And I figured out how to make the sound go. And out of that, I built a life in ministry, but it Mm. was because, you know, and I all credit to the like three youth leaders who figured out that Trey likes plugging things into things. Right. But like, this is how (laughs) I got my start is that I had a job. I had a job to do what I, when I was coming to church, I knew that I was making a difference in the life of that church and mm-hmm. that I had a skill set that was valuable, right? That I wasn't mm-hmm. there to be pat on the head. Um, mm-hmm. I was there to make a difference. And from that, I, you know, again, I got to, I, again, I was blessed, fortunate, yep. lucky, pick your word. Um, then, you know, and, and so that's how, like, how do Emily and I, and I end up the, like, you know, mildly elder millennials running a church, um, running our second church together. Um, <laughs> it is, it is like we got lucky. Um, mm-hmm. that the right set of things conspired together, that we did get pulled in, and mm-hmm. that, you know, even as I think her and I both have experienced a fair amount of rejection too in this journey, um, mm-hmm. it started with that core of, I learned when I was 15, 15, yeah, right, that I could right. make a difference in the life of my congregation. Yes. And that my congregation yeah. had something that I needed, but also that they needed from me. That I got exactly. pulled in, and for me, right. it's for, mutual. Yeah, it was mutual. It works, yeah. but mm-hmm. exactly, and that's what that's a concept called keychain leadership. That's mentioned in the book "Growing Young" by Kara Powell. 
and mentions, hey, how can we give them roles and responsibility now? This this idea of keychain leadership, like here's keys to the church. Now go in there yeah. and let's start, you know, learning how we can run this and do this well, but in a way that is invitational, that does meet our community's needs holistically, uh, and that we are yeah. that welcoming presence. But the church needs young adults and the young adults need yeah. the church. It's right. both and it's, both it's and. not either or. It's not that they are empty vessels that we need to fill, right? right? And that we are so full that they have nothing they can add, right? That's not actually the design. I, uh, I, so I, I've, I've been, my, 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 one of my great blessings recently is I now have a 12 year old helping me with AV stuff in the Spanish service. Um, and like, I, it's, it's one of those, like, I did not ask for this. It's just, Jenny was like, I, can he wants to do this? And I'm like, yes, yeah, please. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And, and like, exactly. you know, hopefully, hopefully I don't screw it up because the people, when I was in that position, the only reason why I'm here. Um, in a real way is because, you know, mm. Chris Noller, um, and, you know, and Bill, um, you know, these like, <laughs> you know, the, these like, you know, right. cool, they were cool boomers. Um, they were boomers, but they were like, one was like in a New Orleans jazz band and like one was selling, well, like worked for a communications technology company then, but like had been like worked with rock and roll bands. Um, and so they were just like nice. cool boomers and like these cool yeah. boomers looked at this like yeah. punky 15 year old and went, okay, we can teach you. They didn't, neither of them talk like this, but like, let's go with this. We can <laughs> teach you something, bro. And I'm like, cool. Um, and you know, that's how, that's how I got started. Well, I think, you know, and going back to like Sean and I's relationship, like Sean took a chance on me by saying, hey, like, come on and be my intern and help me with stuff. And Mm -hmm. uh, not sure what he saw there. But I mean, from that point onward, we've always been, you know, really tight. And now we're having these conversations every week. So. Yeah, which this is probably again we could we could do this all day um, because I, I, I you know I I love when cross general generational sharing tops out at an exer right like that means we're doing <laughs> something right as a church when like you know this like but like I I I really appreciate um, y'all's show and so the show is called um, spiritual but not religious um, and so hey if you're listening to this show. And you want another show in this vein um, from folks who are really on the front lines of this stuff, subscribe. Um, And uh, this is probably a good place to bring our show to this show here in for a landing. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, for the goodness of God. If you have feedback for this show, we would love to hear it. Um, Just email us the goodness of God pod at gmail.com. The goodness of God pod at gmail.com. This show and everything else we do here on the servants. Now media lab is a ministry of servants of Christ United Methodist parish um, deep in the heart of South East Houston and is partially brought to you by an innovators grant from the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. Um, if you want to find out more or support what we're doing, um, we are at Servants Now on everything. Facebook, Facebook.com slash Servants Now, YouTube.com slash Servants Now, TikTok at Servants Now, Insta at Servants Now, Twitter, not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I deal with enough garbage fires on my daily. Um, but also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see you next week.